Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. It's wonderful to be with you again this week. And I want to talk about a topic today that will either hit you at some point of your life or you will become one of those individuals that is cared for. We are going to be talking with Dave Nassani about caregiving today. And before we dive into that, I want you to take a deep breath and really check in with yourself as to how you are taking care of yourself, how life is going as we're moving through this very, very interesting time. Uh, I think it is always interesting which shows and topics come up and what's going on in the world at that particular moment. And as I read Dave's book, uh, it appeared to me that uh, we are always, first and foremost, needing to learn how to be a caregiver to ourselves. And with the pandemic and many people uh, confining to home or having kids at home to take care of or parents or different people, that this topic is vital now more than ever to have a conversation about. Before I dive into that, I do want to mention our sponsor, uh, BetterHelp. So if there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving goals, I want you to check out BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can communicate under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is professional counseling that is done securely online, and the service is available to clients worldwide. Um, so I want to let you know about that and that they... Uh, are offering a special that you can check out if you go to betterhelp.com forward slash 11 and spell out the word 11 and the word help, H-E-L-P. That's betterhelp.com forward slash 11. They are committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So definitely check them out. There's a special offer for 1111 Talk radio listeners, you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com. That's H E L P, uh, betterhelp.com forward slash 11 to get that 10% discount. And as you move forward in life as a caregiver, that may be some additional support you can get to take care of yourself. My guest today is Dave Nesseni, and he hosts a syndicated radio program of his own to help caregivers avoid burnout and not just survive the grief process, but thrive. He knows what caregivers are feeling because he is one. In 1996, after 21 happy years of marriage, Dave was devastated when his wife, Charlene, became nonverbal and paralyzed due to a stroke. Not wanting other caregivers to experience the same kind of grief he built, his membership website, which is caregiverdave.com. Uh, I'd like to welcome you, Dave, to 1111 Talk Radio. I'm looking forward to discussing your book, It's My Life Too. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. This is an interesting topic, especially now as we move through the pandemic. I know that I was talking to a woman yesterday, and she was in total meltdown over caring for four kids, husband away in the Navy, <laughs> and um, trying to figure out how to do it all on her own. And she was definitely at that place of burnout. And I would imagine right now with a lot of the stress that people are under 
and trying to figure out how to handle their environments, their children, their parents, having to stay away yet needing to be close. There's a lot of additional stress to caregivers. And I'd, I'd like to first talk about what a caregiver is because um, so many people are caring for people and don't realize that they are taking that on in that way that these concepts and, and thoughts that you're going to talk about today will apply to them. That's right. Caregivers are anyone who takes care of anyone. <laughs> uh, there are even 6 million children caregivers, believe it or not, from the ages of 8 to 18. These are people that uh, maybe there's no one to watch grandma and it's time to go to school, but no, you're not going to school today. you got to watch grandma. And unfortunately, these are people who do not even get, uh, you know, the breaks that the labor department says you need two 10 minute breaks and a, and a lunch hour break and this and that. So um, you might have a sick dog that makes you a caregiver. You might notice a, a neighbor who every morning goes out and struggles to pick up his newspaper and all of a sudden he says, oh, let me get that for you. And then you take it inside and you notice that he's uh, wanting to reach for something on a top shelf. Oh, let me get that. And then the next thing you know, you're making him breakfast. The next thing you know, you're taking him to doctor appointments. The next thing you know, you're a caregiver. So it's a, it covers a wide range of things and a wide range of diseases and disabilities. Uh, as we moved through this pandemic, uh, my my parents, who are in their 80s, ended up coming to live with me for a couple of months. And I found myself kind of going into this mode where I was constantly busy, but I was so focused on taking care of them and making sure everything got done that I didn't realize the wear and tear that was just mm-hmm. kind of suddenly building. And these are two healthy individuals, so they weren't like... Uh, you where you're having to take care of someone that is debilitated or others that are having to deal with some issues that are very, very complex. So I, as I read your book, I saw how that can compound and really build up. And after they left after two months, I think I must have slept for three days because I didn't realize how exhausted I was. Talk a little bit about that, that compounding uh, piece, even though we're in that full-fledged desire to serve there is this subtle bit of, of tiredness and stress and exertion that continues that just builds and builds and builds. Oh, my God, you're a caregiver. Congratulations. <laughs> Are they, they're elderly. I, I assume that's what the, what the burden was, is that you just had things to do for them? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, there are three mistakes that caregivers make that cause them to either die before their loved ones do, believe it or not, 30% of caregivers die as their loved ones go on. And the rest of them, many of them just become hospitalized, become sicker than their caregiver, I mean, than the one they care for, and eventually need a caregiver of their own. So the first biggest mistake the caregivers make is they don't know how to put their needs first. Now, the airlines tell us in the event of an emergency, oxygen mask will fall. Put your oxygen mask on first before you help your loved one with their mask. Hello, what an amazing metaphor for all of life. Take care of you first. The second biggest mistake caregivers make is they don't know how to ask for help. Everyone has one of these little black things that I'm holding in my hand. It's called a cell phone. You turn it on, you punch in your number, and you talk. Hello, Mom. I need help. Grandma's driving me crazy. I mean, my gosh, call your brother, call your sister, call your wife's ex-husband, call anybody, but get over that silly notion that if you can't do this all by yourself, you're a failure as a caregiver. That attitude will kill you. 
The third biggest mistake caregivers make is they allow people to pile the guilt on them like they were stacking pancakes. I'm reminded of that show back in the 70s about this caregiver caring for his elderly father in the junk business. It was called Sanford and Son. Remember the show? I do. And Fred Sanford was notorious in guilting his son Lamont into doing all sorts of cockamamie harebrained schemes that he had no business doing that was not in his interest. And it was something like this. Oh, oh, it's the big one. Oh, son, really, it's the big one. Elizabeth, I'm coming for you, honey. And uh, Lamont would fall for that con every single time. And caregivers are the same way. A lot of caregivers are manipulated by their loved ones. And you need to learn to have boundaries. You know, it's almost like being handcuffed to your loved one with a life sentence in caregiver prison with no possibility of parole. That kind of guilt will kill you. You eliminate those three things and you have greatly increased the chances that you're going to thrive as a caregiver, not just survive. Mm, when I read your story and looked at particularly the, the issue that comes up in terms of grieving, that's a powerful one because oftentimes when we do have the situation that an experience comes into our life that completely shifts our experience, whether it's our jobs or how we've been going out or how we move in the world and all of these things, to suddenly pivot focus in a different <clears throat> direction, there is a sense of loss for the caregiver that, uh, that they have to move through. And oftentimes I think people, especially in our Western society, we're so used to that concept or that uh, idea of, let me just get it done. Let me just focus on where I am and get things done. And we almost neglect those emotional pieces that have to be dealt with along the way. Talk a little bit about uh, the pivot from life in one direction to another and the emotions that rise through that process. Yes, anytime anyone suffers loss, they go through a grief process. And I didn't know what that was. Uh, I, wish I, <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I would have read my own book. I wish I would have known me when I became a caregiver 22 years ago. My beautiful wife, Charlene, we were, uh, first of all, I met her, you know, we had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. I mean, we we went places and we never had an argument. Life was good. And then just as we were getting into the emptiness phase of life where all the kids were raised, I mean, we raised three daughters, two from a previous marriage that she had from an abusive marriage and one we had together. And we got them out of the house, and we even got all three of them married, uh, each one twice. And my wife starts complaining to me about this headache she had, the headache of her life. She wanted me to call Dr. Kevorky and put her out of her misery. I mean, you know, she was joking, but not really. <laughs> and so by the time the ambulance arrived, it was too late. My wife had suffered a massive stroke. It left her severely speech-impaired, paralyzed on one side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. Nothing would ever be the same again. Charlene was angry and bitter toward me every single day. And it came to a point where I just didn't think I can take it anymore. So I sat down and I wrote her a letter. I said, Charlene, why are you so mean to me? It's so hard taking care of you 24-7, not receiving any love or appreciation in, in return. Uh, I mean, I know it's hard on you, but you're making it even harder on me. I just don't think I can be with you anymore. I mean, I'll take care of you financially, but I just can't be with you. 
And, you know, I read that letter over and over again. And I said, how can I give this to my wife, to a woman I love for 22 years, to the mother of my children, my soulmate? I couldn't do it. So I just put it back in the filing cabinet, went on in my grief, my my anger, my isolation, all those things. Uh, and that's an example of what I was going through. For two and a half years, we were miserable. Uh, it, it was hell on earth. First, what happens is we go through the denial. Oh, no, this isn't this isn't really happening. You know, I thought this was just going to be a speed bump and that we'd be back on track uh, for long. But, you know, the days turned into weeks. The weeks turned into months. The months turned into years. The years turned into decades. I'm glad somebody didn't tell me that this was going to still be affecting me uh, 21 years later. But we have to get over that denial. Otherwise, we'll become delusional. Um, so the brain has to just slowly accept what's happening. It doesn't do things quickly. When we get over that, the next thing we do is we try to get out of it. We try to bargain. We try to negotiate. I mean, if if a, a young teenager loses his girlfriend and she dumps him and and he tries to negotiate that, he says, uh, well, can't we still be friends? You know, Some things are very difficult to negotiate when the doctor tells you that you've got cancer, you've got three weeks to live. When your CPA tells you that bankruptcy is the only way out, um, these types of things uh, are very, very difficult, especially if a spouse dies. You know, who do you negotiate with that? You know, uh, God. Talk about the foxhole Christians. God, if you get me out of this, I'll go to church every single day for the rest of my life. Well, after you realize that bargaining doesn't work, then you get angry. You're angry at anybody and everybody, the doctor, it's, uh, you know, my fault, it's the paramedic's fault, it's it's the hospital's fault. Somebody has to, uh, you know, take the blame. And when you realize that that doesn't work, then you fall into the probably the worst phase of the grief process, that's depression. Because that's where a lot of times uh, suicides happen. I mean, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, Robin Williams, these people all were suffering from clinical depression. And I say, see your doctor. There's a difference between sadness and depression. You know, if you can't get out of bed, you just want to pull the covers over your head day after day, or you're not eating, not eating right, you're eating too much, whatever the symptoms are, they can put you on an antidepressant. And sometimes it takes, you know, a few weeks or a few months to get the right dosage and it's not a drug, a recreation drug. It doesn't make you feel high. It just brings back the chemical imbalance in the brain. Uh, it, it's worth the struggle of trying to find that right dosage. Um, and then we're all looking for acceptance, accepting the new normal, that wonderful place where you say, you know what, I'm okay with this. And my wife was grieving. She came to that place finally after two and a half years. And so did I. And now we're happy we uh, feel like everything's normal. People come, oh, you poor guy. I say, what? what? Everything's fine, you know. And acceptance is a wonderful place. Remember that every caregiver's life is a love story. And Dave is definitely an expert when it comes to caregiving. He has written a book called It's My Life to Thrive and Stay Alive as a Caregiver. Uh, he has a membership community that you can join to be uh, among other loving and understanding and wise caregivers. And when you realize that the value is so much greater uh, than being alone, you'll realize that it is supportive for you to have that outlet. Uh, you can find out more about this if you go to uh, 
caregiverdave.com and uh, learn more about that while also learning more about some of his other books. Uh, He is also a radio host and he has his own program that helps caregivers avoid burnout and not just survive the grief process but to thrive. Again, I want to also mention if you are in need of additional counseling support that you can take advantage of a special offer that is uh, through betterhelp.com, H-E-L-P. They're giving 10% off 1111 Talk Radio listeners for their first month. And you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash 11. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are uh, recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states as well. Uh, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can visit their website, read their testimonials that are posted daily. They are committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's affordable, more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Uh, you can go to BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash 11, and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. We will be right back after these messages with Dave Nassani and his new book, It's My Life Too. We'll be right back. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. 
Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. I do want to mention that we have a wonderful list of archives in 1111 Talk Radio. There's a beautiful curriculum that dates all the way back to 2009. And the one thing that I do know is that the individuals that have been on the show are change agents and speakers and authors that have created information that is truly timeless. So with any support that you need, definitely dive into any of the archives. They are always listed. In addition, 1111 Magazine is always available for you digitally free. I introduce six individuals in each issue to support you not only in gaining wisdom and access to what is out in the world, but also for your own inspiration of expressing your authentic creativity. So go to 1111mag.com for that. And you can check out the new online courses that I have available. There is a bundle package that allows you full access to every course on the platform, which is an extremely uh, valuable opportunity. So check out everything that's going on. Uh, And for my own personal artwork and creations, you can go to imsimran.com. My guest today is Dave Nassani, and he has written a book called It's My Life Too, Thrive and Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It's My Life Too assists the caregiver in consciously and intentionally making seven key decisions that all long-term caregivers face, thereby empowering them to avoid feelings of victimization or resentment. The book is laid out in a beautiful way, and it addresses all of the issues that you're going to have as a caregiver, in addition to helping you cultivate some of the practices and the language to support you in staying healthy as a caregiver, as well as those uh, an understanding as to what uh, the person being cared for is is also experiencing. So definitely go to uh, Dave's website and find out more about him, caregiverdave.com. I will mention that he's got a free offer for July. Uh, there's a free introductory counseling that he is offering. If you want to go check out his website and sign up for that, um, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to get support and to also find out more about his community that supports caregivers. Uh, welcome back, Dave. I want to talk a little bit uh, more about the the grief and the anger and the resentment and the, the things that were coming up for you or for a caregiver when, when their life is all of a sudden changed. Um, but the person that is being cared for is also going through something and, and they have to kind of go through that same process. And often because the caregiver is the only one around, they project so much onto that caregiver. Can you talk about the experience of the one being cared for? Yes, you know, my beautiful wife lost a lot of things. She was an A-type personality. She was a gourmet cook. She was a wedding coordinator, an interior decorator. She made dolls and artsy, craftsy stuff. I mean, she was like a cross between Martha Stewart and Wonder Woman. And then this this stroke, this headache just happened, boom, like overnight. And she was pretty upset. She lost her speech. She could not talk. Uh, She would try to talk. Uh, She would hear the words in her mind of what she wanted to say, but gibberish just came out of her head or out of her mouth, rather. And um, we finally had to turn a tape recorder on and record her voice and play it back to her. She thought we were all playing a joke on her, which made her even more mad. Uh, It wasn't a pretty situation. 
But once she heard that she was unable to communicate, and that took a while, uh, she really went into depression and uh, became angry, angry at everybody, angry at everything. And the poor thing, I felt so sad for her because she couldn't communicate. She couldn't verbalize her frustrations. Uh, Oftentimes, she would just have to scream, you know, this blood-curdling scream uh, that that you know i'm sure the neighbors thought i was torturing her but i would just have to leave her in her room i'm a very calm person <laughs> if you haven't figured that out and um, i have the grace to to handle a lot of things the patience of job but uh, you know every now and then even my patience would wear thin but i i had to decide that my needs were greater than her needs that if i allowed uh, her to be in control, that I would go down with her, the oxygen mask analogy, you know. And that's very hard for caregivers to do because they feel guilty and they feel, um, you know, like they don't want the confrontation. And uh, you have to decide which mountains you want to die on, which issues are important enough to uh, confront. I give the analogy of a small child. You know, you say, well, don't touch that stove because you'll get burned. And, you know, kid wants to touch the stove and they're probably going to touch it eventually. And they're probably going to suffer the consequences. I say, let your loved one um, suffer some consequences. Uh, You need boundaries in your life. Uh, For example, let's say, okay, you know, I haven't slept uh, very well last night. I want to take a nap between the hours of one and two Unless you're dying and have an emergency, do not disturb me uh, between those hours because I need to catch up so I can be a good caregiver to you. And I guarantee you that between the hours of one and two, you will be disturbed and you have to now enforce that rule unless they're dying, of course, unless unless there's some tragic emergency that needs to be handled. Um you need to enforce, right? How many times do we tell our kids, you do that one more time and you're going to, you know, whatever. And they do it one more time and, and your threats were not carried out. Or wait till your father gets home, you know, and your father, the father gets home and nothing happens. So you need to have some boundaries. You need to enforce the boundaries. Um, there needs to be consequences. That child, there uh, are things that you would never allow that child to learn, like don't go in the street. You might get hit by a car. And if the child goes into the street, uh, you grab them and you punish them severely because you say, no, 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 you can't do that. And just, likewise, there are things that as a caregiver, you must have that kind of commitment that this is non-negotiable. This will not happen. And if it does it, you know, I'm just going to put you in a nursing home. I mean, make idle threats. I mean, obviously, whatever it takes. For me, for example, I was burning out so badly that I, I just had to call um, her mother to live with us so that I can take breaks. I, I have relatives all over the country, and I would often go on these weekend trips uh, and visit cousins I hadn't seen in decades and I, you know, one weekend I would go to Nashville and maybe, you know, two or three, four weekends later, I would go visit my cousin in Florida and then my cousin in New York. And she just really hated that, that I was going out and having all this fun, but I was coming back refreshed and I was a better caregiver. Uh, she still gives me dirty looks when we talk about this, but it's necessary and it needs to be done. 
And uh, that's the kind of resolve that you need because it's either your life or her life. And you wouldn't want uh, your kids to sacrifice their life for you if you were in that situation. And really, your loved one wouldn't uh, want you to sacrifice your life. I mean, it's one thing for a mother to throw her body in front of a speeding car to save her child. You know, that's, that's heroic. But to sit there and just torture yourself, drip, 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 uh, nobody would want that. And that's what caregivers do when they burn out. They just give and give and give, and then there's nothing left to give, and then they, they're they gone. You know, people that have not had to experience caregiving or encounter a time where uh, some of what you're speaking of is taking place, they might look at that as, as very selfish. But we live mm. in a world with an unspoken disease of codependence. And as I heard you speaking, it sounded like you were saying that you're trying to keep from that codependent place because that doesn't help anyone. Neither side is going to benefit. But by allowing a sense of the independence, you are able to then come back and really support in a way that is not only healthy for the individual, but then healthy for yourself. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a form of tough love, you know. Um, I have a cell phone, and sometimes it'll... Uh, flash 10% or 20%, you know, warning Will Robinson. (laughs) And I won't take care of it at that moment. And then the next thing I know, I'm on a very important call and it's flashing 1% and it it dies on me. Or uh, I own a gas station for 40 years, still do. But uh, don't even ask me how many times I've run out of gas because, uh, you know, we're just so distracted. We don't take care of things like that. And the tough love is is very, very important because um, self-care, I mean, it's so hard for a caregiver to just put their needs first. And I did a talk in Wilmington, Delaware, a TEDx talk, and it's about caregivers need to be selfish in order to survive. And I actually wanted to call my book The Selfish Caregiver and the publisher. No, 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 you can't do that. Selfish is a, is a nasty, negative word and nobody will read your book and... But um, to my amazement, um, as we were trying to figure out the title of my speech at TEDx, they hung on to this word selfish. They says, hey, I like that selfish word. It, uh, you know, we're looking for a, um, an idea worth spreading. Caregivers need to be selfish in order to survive. And so they embraced it, uh, as, uh, unlike the publisher. And selfish is not a dirty word to caregivers. Um, most caregivers are selfless. <laughs> they don't have an ounce of selfishness in them. So in order to bring the pendulum from one side of the selfless over to the middle, the balance, they're going to have to be selfish and they're going to have to not feel guilty about it. Uh, when I went to my support group, I mean, after I wrote that letter, um, I found a, a business card in my pocket. Uh, it was inviting me to a support group. I didn't even know what a support group was. I didn't know what a caregiver was. But I figured, well, someone must have given this to me, probably in the hospital. I was living in the hospital, in the hospital bed next to my wife for six weeks. They had to force me to go home and shower and eat and stuff like that. And um, I learned that that there were people there just like me, burned out caregivers. I learned if I didn't take care of me, I couldn't take care of my wife. I learned about the, the oxygen mask analogy on the uh, airlines. And everybody needs a support group because you need someone to vent to. 
we went to a group <clears throat> where the caregivers uh, were in one room and the stroke survivors were in the other room. It was a stroke support group and a caregiver support group together. And they would go in the other rooms and they would talk nasty about each other. Oh, my loved one did this to me. And the loved one just say, my caregiver did this to me. And, you know, it, it's funny, but they were getting it off their chest. They were venting and it made them feel good. And one said, oh, yeah, my, mine did the same thing, you know. So all of a sudden you're feeling normal. Oh, wow, I'm not crazy. And so um, don't isolate yourself. I, I have this care formula. It's called CARE. C, communicate with your friends. Don't isolate yourself. Caregivers need friends. They need uh, someone who they can be friends with and do the things that they did before of so they can feel normal. You know, if you used to go to lunch or dinner with somebody or go work out or go ride your bike with them, don't isolate those people. Don't complain to them about your terrible day you had. Nobody likes a Debbie Downer. They will stop calling and they will stop coming around. The A stands for ask for help. Uh, caregivers need to not feel like they can do this all by themselves because they can't. <laughs> they will drop dead if they do. Um, R stands for rest. Caregivers need eight hours rest every single night. The average caregiver only gets two or three. Well, I can't survive on two or three hours. Can you? <laughs> not and, at all. And the E stands for eat. Eat healthy, nutritious foods. Don't eat junk food. Junk food's got sugar, chemicals, processed ingredients. All that stuff will kill you. And it's very important to to have that space and time. All of the things that you're mentioning in that acronym are extremely important. And you go through uh, quite a few things within your book. I'd love to talk a little bit about um, how you are able to, how you were able to come to that recognition uh, or or what was the point that really helps you realize that you have to structure your life in a different way that you took care of yourself to be able to take care of her? Well, the support group were very, very strong. I mean, everything changed when I went to that first support group meeting. It, it was like, you know, the, the clouds rolled back and the heavens and then the choirs said, ah, it's like, oh my gosh, I love this. Uh, on the other hand, my wife hated her support group because she wanted to be around normal people so she can feel normal. She didn't want to be around other people just like her because it just reminded her, oh, my God, I'm not normal. You know, I've got this disability. I can't talk. I can't walk. Uh, after 21 years, she still cannot talk or walk, but she has learned how to communicate, <laughs> use all the other senses. You know, she she's amazing. She uh communicates through Pictionary and Charades, two games I hate, by the way, but I'm learning to love. And uh, one day uh, we were waiting for a table at a restaurant before the pandemic, and um, she was just talking to somebody. She goes right up to people and just starts, you know, uh, with her gestures and her smile and her touch and her eyebrows, and and uh, she'll start up a conversation, and they'll They'll start talking back. And I mean, we went to New York to a, a national publicity summit to get guests for my radio show. And I brought her with me. And these guests, you know, we, we met producers from ABC and uh, Good Morning America and, and uh, you know, Kelly and Ryan and The View. And they would see her from across the room. She's in her wheelchair and she's radiant because she looks like the Queen of England. I mean, she dresses to the nth degree, makes me look like a bum. I really have to dress up when I'm around her. But they'll just come, 
see her radiance, walk across the room, start up a conversation with her. And they're having a conversation and just having a good time and laughing and joking around. And then they'll eventually get to me. And I'll explain to them that she cannot speak. And well, what do you mean? I was just speaking. I said, no, you were communicating with her. I mean, she's that good. I am <laughs> mm. mm. speaking today with Dave Nistani, and he is the author of It's My Life Too, which is based on his popular radio show, The Caregiver's Caregiver. Uh, this is a practical self-help book that empowers those new to long-term caregiving to provide top quality care to their loved ones while avoiding burnout and having satisfying, fulfilling lives of their own. Long-term caregivers desperately need this information because burnout is currently at epidemic proportions. One-third of the U.S. population is currently caring for a loved one without receiving any compensation and have put their lives and careers on hold for an undetermined period of time. They often feel like they are in a caregiver prison and become isolated, hopeless, and depressed. As the baby boomers continue to age, these numbers will only increase. It has been said that there are three types of people in the world, those who will become caregivers, those who are caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. I invite you to visit his website, caregiver.com caregiverdave.com you can check out his uh, various books you can also look at the community that he has created to support caregivers and you can check out the free introductory offer for counseling that he has on there for the month of July Uh, that again is caregiverdave.com we'll be right back after these messages want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream the 1111 mastermind community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion go to courses.1111mag.com that's courses.1111mag.com change begins with you let it be simple convenient and transformative the time is now step through the 1111 gateway courses.1111mag.com Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Dave Nassani, and we are talking about It's My Life Too, a book that he has created to support caregivers in understanding how to balance their life. It's My Life Too provides encouragement and easy-to-implement steps to prevent caregiver burnout. Caregivers who are already exhibiting symptoms of burnout will also be able to apply these same techniques and insights to immediately decrease stress and the significant health dangers to their own well-being. When a crisis occurs and loved ones have an accident or a medical emergency, a caregiver is plunged into a complex redefinition of their role that affects their self-image of who they had to become to survive this new and unexpected occupation. There is not a book on the market that addresses the needs of long-term caregivers, regardless of the challenges faced by their loved ones. Most of them focus on specific illnesses, and this book specifically allows you to understand how to take care of yourself. So you can find out more about Dave at his website, caregiverdave.com, and get the support that you need as you are caregiving those in your life. Uh, as you go through the book, you have two words that are the most important words that a caregiver will ever use. And the book is structured utilizing those two words uh, throughout them to support I think individuals in strengthening their own resolve and uh, their own boundaries. And I often find that we set boundaries, although they seem like they're for the other person. I think that the boundaries we set are really so that we can keep ourselves in line uh, from, from not going into those places of codependency that are oftentimes unconscious. Talk a little bit about those two specific words and, um, why they're so important and how to know which direction to use them in. Yes, our book just relaunched and we changed the uh, subtitle. It used to be how to say yes and how to say no uh, in order to survive or something like that. I forgot. <laughs> but uh, I, it's so hard for a caregiver to say no. Um, they just are always getting in trouble because people manipulate them. They'll ask them a question in such a way where if you don't say yes, you're going to feel judged, you're going to feel condemned, you're going to feel like uh, that's the right answer. These clever people, they'll ask a question so that you have to say yes, you know, and you have to have the radar go off. Wait a minute. No, I would stand in front of a mirror and practice 100 different ways that you can say no. Say no, no. No, 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 no. What kind of, what part of no don't you understand? You know, and and do that so that you can see yourself saying the words no (laughs) and see that it feels good because no, I don't want to volunteer for that. My plate is too full. No, I can't commit to that because, uh, you know, I'm a caregiver. No, 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 no. Just, it sounds silly, but if you get used to hearing yourself say no, When the time comes for you to say no, 
before you stress yourself out by committing to something that you have no business committing to, it'll just roll off your lips before you even realize you said it. Boundaries are so, so, so important. There's a book out there called Boundaries <laughs> that I recommend everybody read, uh, as well as my book. I've got a chapter in there about boundaries. And, you know, if people are offending you all the time, first of all, um, caregivers is not for wimps. It's not for sissies. It's not for people who are not strong. So you need to get strong or you're not going to survive. Uh, if you're thin skin and you're always walking on eggshells and you're always offended by somebody, uh, something somebody says, then you need boundaries in your life. That's a clue. Um, if someone's offending you, it's your fault because you never communicated to that person who's offending you. And it might even be your mother. <laughs> uh, women and mothers have this strange kind of relationship where, you know, they're always uh, stepping on each other's toes. You need to tell your mother, if it's your mother, for example, Mom, I did not like what you said the other day, insinuating that my husband has a loser job or whatever, or that, um, you know, I don't keep my house clean enough. I loved Everybody Loves Raymond because there was that mother, Marie, mother-in-law, I should say, who was always insinuating that Deborah's cooking was terrible and that her house cleaning was awful and and, uh, you know, just passive aggressive, you need to say, listen, I don't like it when you say that or do that. And if you continue to do that and hurt my feelings, then put a consequence, like it's going to damage our relationship, um, or we are not going to see each other anymore or whatever, uh, you know, you can start low and work your way up because they will violate the boundary once you do it they will test it right do children test boundaries of course they do and so will uh your loved one when you put a boundary in place because let's face it um we need to know well, what will happen they said this will happen well let me see if this will really happen so you need to either give them one warning and say you know what we had this conversation and if you do that again this will happen or just go ahead and, and implement the, uh, the consequence. And they will learn that your boundaries are strong. And what about the guilt, though? Uh, I, I would think that sometimes when uh, an individual is starting off with those no's, that there will be a sense of guilt that takes over to make uh, them second-guess their no or fall back on their no. Of course there will. And what I say is you have no reason to feel guilty. I have this whole chapter about guilt. Um, uh, I know it's kind of disgusting, but I use an analogy of a dirty diaper for guilt. You know, when, when someone is, uh, when you're feeling the guilt, you have to ask yourself two questions. Wait a minute. Is this deserved guilt or is this undeserved guilt? Because some mothers are very good at dispensing undeserved guilt. And how you tell is you say, um, well, let me look back. Uh, would any reasonable person become, uh, uh, guilty by this that just happened and and you can try to uh, be objective and, and put yourself in the other person's position. If you're not sure, ask a trusted friend and if they, oh no, you have no reason to feel guilty about that. That person is totally out of line. Then you take the guilt like a dirty diaper and you, a disposable diaper, and you just throw it away. You know, because what happens if we keep a diaper on a, a child for a few hours, a few days. I mean, it burns their little bottom and becomes very, very painful. Nothing more painful than diaper rash. So 
the, let's say that you ask yourself the question, and you know what? You did screw up. You, you do feel guilty about this. And guilt is like a traffic cop to let you know, hey, 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 stop. Uh, this is wrong. Is, is this really wrong, or is this just someone trying to make you think it's wrong? And so if it is wrong and you can admit it and other, a trusted friend would even confirm, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, that you should go apologize, go pay restitution, uh, go turn yourself into the police. I mean, whatever it takes, just, just make it right. And then do the same thing you did with the undeserved guilt because you just paid the price, right? You paid your penalty. You take that diaper, you throw it away. You take that guilt, throw it away. Just throw it into the sea of forgetfulness and put up a sign that says no fishing. It can never come back to haunt you again. I love how at the end of the book, the, the chapter goes into gratitude and then resentment. And you have laid out the necessity of writing a love letter. And that love letter has the various levels that an individual is going to go through uh, as they're encountering something. Talk a little bit about how that developed and, and, and how the process of that supports someone. A love letter. Um, give me a little more information on that one. I'm a little uh, hesitant about uh, what part of the book you're talking about. I'm so sorry. Um, it was at the end, and it, it had different levels. Like the level one was anger, where you write how you're feeling and you don't like certain things, and then level two was sadness, and level three was fear. Um, and it moved towards the place of getting to level five, which was love, understanding, gratitude, and forgiveness. Uh, it, it seems to be uh, a way to indirectly give yourself the love that you deserve. Well, in the in the last uh, section of the uh, show here, I, I think I'd rather tell a story to maybe answer that question. And it's how I met my wife. Um, you know, I was uh, I was a sailor when I was younger. I was 20 years old, and I was putting together a sailing trip, and I was at a friend's house, and I was saying, yeah, uh, we can do this, and we're going to go to Catalina and this and that. And, and I hear this voice in the background saying, oh, well, I want to go sailing too. And I looked up, and I said, do I know you? Because she looked a little familiar. And she goes, I'm John's wife. And I says, oh. She goes, well, ex-wife. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. She goes, no, don't be. He's a real jerk. You know, he apparently came home one day and drugs and beat her up and gave her two black eyes and bloody, bloody nose or broken nose. And so, uh, see, John used to go sailing with me because he uh, had a flexible schedule. And one time he brought his wife. And I says, well, you went sailing once with me, didn't you? And she goes, yeah. I says, did you get sick? She goes, no. And I says, okay, you can come. And then something strange happened. She called me the next day and said, oh, this is Charlene. I just wanted to thank you for inviting me to go uh, sailing. And as in appreciation, I want to invite you over to my house for dinner. And she says, I'm a gourmet cook. Well, I didn't know what a gourmet cook was. But <laughs> being a starving student at USC, I never turned down a free meal. So I went and I went a couple days later and I knocked on the door and the door opened up. And all of a sudden, like everything froze. You ever seen in a TV program, everyone else freezes and you're still moving and all this happened like in a split second. And I noticed that um, it was dark uh, in the background. The candles were flickering and, and I smelled like this aroma coming out of the kitchen. And then I smelled her perfume. It was like Giorgio. And then I smelled like incense burning. And then I hear in the background, unforgettable, that's what you are. And I said, oh my God, I'm on a date. And then I freaked out. I said, oh my God, do I want to be on a date with this quote unquote older woman? 
she must have been like 30 or something. I was only 20. And so I checked her out from top to bottom, and she looked pretty good. She was wearing this moo-moo thing, and, and I heard myself say, say to myself, I can do this. So then everything unfroze, and she says, you're going to love the meal that I prepared for you. Everything is stuffed. We had stuffed uh, caviar and a stuffed appetizer and stuffed Cornish game hens and stuffed dessert. I don't know what else was stuffed, but by the end of the evening, I was stuffed. Well, needless to say, we had a great uh, first date. <laughs> and then we went on our sailing trip, had a great sailing trip, eight hours to Catalina Island. And um, we just talked and talked and talked, got to know each other. And so, um, you know, we talk about love languages and um, what the other person has to feel from you. You know, some people want to feel, uh, you know, that you're always saying, I love you. And, and maybe another person would just want to be held and hugged. And some people just want to feel safe and secure. And so it's very important. I, I think there's a book out there called Love Language. It's very important to find out what language um, your loved one speaks and learn that language. Um, it, it's been very difficult uh, for me because I, I'm not a touchy-feely person like she is. And so I've had to learn to do that. And likewise, she has to learn that when I come home from work, you know, maybe I don't want to feel like talking. <laughs> and she does. And, and it's like it's uh, even today now it's hard to, for me to do all the talking because she can't talk. And she just wants to be, okay, tell me how your day was. And I say, like, oh, but we do what we have to do because we love the other. I want to thank you, Dave, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Definitely check out his book, It's My Life Too, and go to his website, caregiverdave.com. Uh, it's a wonderful book to support you in uh, making sure that you don't experience burnout and that you create the environment that you need to empower yourself and the one that you're taking care of. My guest next week is Ellen Meredith, and we're going to be talking about the language of the body. It's sure to be an interesting show, so I look forward to having you with me next week. Until then, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.